Not sure where you want to take this uh, though, because I'm I'm in a rambly mood today. <laughs>somebody sees the, the potential for what they're building but all the code hasn't been written or all the pieces haven't been figured out but they know those are the right people to do it the companies uh and and the individuals that can really kind of figure out what where to go from here are, are going to be in a position of dominance for the next 10 or 15 years i bet um, and then once again we'll, we'll we'll deal with this again Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. Paul and I are back at home again. Uh, I was on the road uh, twice in the past week. Um, I don't, I didn't see you go anywhere, man. Are you, did you actually stay home? No, I, I actually went over to Peoria to check out HQ Monday and Tuesday. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, got back. Uh, stealth mode. Well, I guess. Oh, well, I got iced. I uh, put a tweet out the other day. Oh uh, no, you put that video out of all the of all the of all the the stuff waiting to be fulfilled. That, yeah, those, those those pallets were incredible, man. You yeah, guys, you guys have to check out the tweet. We'll put it in the show notes. But man, the stacks of red boxes headed out the door was pretty epic. That was just the morning shipment. I I you know so yeah yeah. Let's put the tweet out there and let people find it. But uh, yeah, that 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 little scan that was I think that was just the morning shipment. I um. Anyway, you know, this time of year is also wild, but it's also kind of cool. Like if you look back at sort of our history, just like any other early stage company back then, you know, we literally packaged the product and shipped it out in a minivan, you know, drove it over to FedEx. And now <laughs> we're on the other side of that and we're negotiating, you know, uh, multiple pickup times per day and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, and now... Now we're like thinking about like, you know, how, how tightly packed is the semi before it leaves the warehouse? Because, you know, anyway, it's a good problem to have, but I think that people sometimes don't realize what it's like on the other side of the e-commerce world. It's not just code and, um, you know, uh, Google analytics or anything like that. There's actual products moving around. Um, you know, for the, for the, for the folks who listen to us, who, who didn't come across us uh, on a tour stop. Uh, one of the most common things that Paul would say in most places w was something along the lines of, you know, like, you know, whenever something that was that wasn't strictly SaaS would sort of cross our our plate in in the in the in the pitch meetings, uh, you know, office hours, Paul would be like, well, you know, like, you know, that 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 other stuff, that's really like that's Ed's world. So like if we're talking about like physical goods and shipping <laughs> stuff and all that e-commerce, like that's really where Ed lives. I'm really over here in the SaaS world. <laughs> um, as you put out videos of a warehouse filled with pallets, Mr. Sass. I, you know, I have a newfound appreciation for the real world. Uh, I, I can admit when I'm wrong, Ed, <laughs> you know, I, I think the truth is, is that if you'd talked to me 10 years ago, I, I thought that, uh, well, I'll tell you what, the, the fastest way for me to just kind of make this point is that, you know, I, more recently than ever, have I learned that, um, I think the biggest money to be made over the next 10 years is going to be at the intersection of online and offline. And I wasn't there personally 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I, you know, I still saw a lot of upside in the software only world. And, and if you look at where I invested a lot of time and a lot of money, it was in that. And then when we started driving around with the RV and doing the tech tour and stuff like that, in hindsight, now I can tell you that what really dawned on me was that if the online stuff has made everything better as much as it has already in terms of like financial returns. And, you know, now people can 
you know, have a voice through social media. Like, like if so, if software did all that, like the tour kind of taught me that, that if you could add software to the real world, um, it's only going to be way bigger. I, I, I'm hesitating to say what I really wanted to say. So I'll just say it. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, uh, like if you think you made a lot of money off of software over the last five, 10 or 20 years, I guarantee you, you're going to make way more, uh, at the intersection online and offline, uh, both as investors and as entrepreneurs. And I, and I say that so broadly because the fact of the matter is, is for people like you and me and the people listening to this right now, we probably all live our lives mostly in some SaaS product and Gmail and all these other things. And that's that's great. But the vast majority of dollars still spent across the planet are, you know, in the real world. And some of that's never going to become software. You're never going to get a cheeseburger <laughs> in software. <laughs> you know, you're speaking my language, man. Right. And so I'm coming around. That was a long-winded way of saying I'm coming around, Ed. And uh I, I think I'm 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 trying to trying to follow your uh follow in your big boy shoes. Well, I think, you know, as you as you mentioned, I think you know, and we've talked about for a couple of episodes, I think all of this really does tie back though to you know, folks like you are 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 really gonna be successful if you can figure out how to overcome uh these privacy changes, iOS fourteen. And I think you've correctly alluded to the fact that Google is is likely to follow in, in footsteps here, but it's I keep hearing it come up everywhere. And it came up you talk about cheeseburgers, it came up in some conversations that we were having about uh about five guys this past week and their new app and and how many people are actually um you know if they order a cheeseburger, how many of them actually sign up for an account with five guys versus how many don't. And one of the guys in the call was saying like, hey, can't we, you know, what if we just, you know, you know, what, like I get targeted ads from all over the place. You know, what if we just, you know, keep track of what people order and then we can suggest that <laughs> strawberry milkshake to them the next time they come back. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. <laughs> like we, we're, we're going to need a new plan because all that's going away. And it's just interesting how quickly that's shifting. And the companies, it's, it's never as simple as one thing. But I do think simply that when you and I look back six months, nine months, a year from now, companies that we know that are successful, um, maybe like a bump, and investments that we make that are successful are going to be the people that either use some form of brute force, smarts, or both to figure out a new way to connect and provide, you know, engaging messages to their customers. I, yes. I mean, I'll, I'll just say it more bluntly. You know, you got to figure it out. People are going to have to figure this out. And the faster you can kind of figure out where we're headed uh, and start testing quickly to, to see what sticks, the, the, the more successful or more likely to be successful you're going to be. I, you know, I, I tweeted about this uh, the other night um, and, and I don't have any data to back up what I'm about to say. So here's an anecdotal thought and, and then you can poke holes in it and tell me I'm crazy. But, you know, when I think about this whole privacy iOS 14 thing and what I think this impending Google thing could be as well, right? They're going to follow suit. I mean, why wouldn't they? Um, when you zoom out, you know, to like the proverbial 100,000 feet, it kind of feels like history, you know, what's the old saying? Like history doesn't repeat itself, but it really does rhyme. And, you know, just bear with me here for a second. If you go back 20, 30, 40 years, I mean, that's that's not that long a time ago. In order for you to, to reach a client, uh, or to reach a prospective client at scale, you had to, um, you didn't have the tools of, you know, uh, of direct targeting and stuff like that. So you had to 
Um, for example, pick a demographic you were going to go after, and then you would buy a traditional ad, uh, whether it was like an NPR block, I'm going to put a radio ad at the six o'clock hour in these zip codes or whatever, or DMAs or whatever. Like the point, here's my point for the, for the longest time in, in advertising, um, nobody had targeting available. So you really had to figure out how to either identify exactly what your demographic was. You had to talk about what the problem was. You had to really get good at copywriting and, and all that. So you had a choice. On one end, you had to get really good at those skills, or on the other end, you had to become the conglomerate that had enough cash to just blanket saturate the whole market. Um, and then, you know, Google came around and Facebook came around and all of a sudden you could target. So now not only could the big guys target, but the little ones could too. And, you know, the rise of, you know, you know, niches being able to be monetized in a, in a massive way was really on the back of this deep targeting that, that online ad platforms gave us. And now here we are again, losing it. And it's almost like we're going back. And, and so to your point, what does that mean? Well, I think, I think people are going to have to either take big, bold bets on how they're going to, you know, proverbially saturate the market and slash, or they're going to have to really double down on, on kind of learning the old school, you know, uh, ad techniques of define the problem and speak the language. I mean, I know this doesn't sound like, you know, groundbreaking, but, you know, I'm in enough Slack groups right now uh, to see that people aren't, people aren't really thinking that way. Everybody's still like, so, I mean, I'm going to get in trouble for this probably, but, you know, the, every... <laughs> everybody in the direct-to-consumer world right now seems to be saying like, oh man, we got to go to our TikTok ads. Like that's where it's at. You know, you got to figure it out. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but man, you know, uh, like if if Facebook's, uh, sorry, if iOS has changed the ways and, you know, if you think that Instagram's going to do the same and like, wouldn't it be obvious that TikTok will eventually do the same? I mean, I, I don't know. I know I'm not articulating this well, but I think that, um, it almost feels like we're kind of like going back a little bit. And that's not a bad thing, actually. I think it'll sort of reset things a little bit and we'll see where it goes. But to your point, the companies uh, and, and the individuals that can really kind of uh, figure out what, where to go from here are, are going to be in a position of dominance for the next 10 or 15 years, I bet. Um, and then once again, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this again. Right? <laughs> so... Uh. Well, and you talk about a position of dominance and what's, you know, what's growing, what's not growing. And, and I think, you know, you and I were just trading some emails before, um, before we recorded you know, yesterday and this morning. Um, you know, and again, trying to anonymize a little bit because the, the deal is not final, but we've got this investment um, that, um, you know, I mean, you, you, you said to me that, you know, you mentioned Aquahire and I think, I think it'd be good to, to get into that, especially after having our discussion about pitch decks, um, you know, recently, I think it's a good evergreen topic to dig into. But, you know, when I looked at this, this decision that we're making about converting, um, you know, to converting our stock, essentially what's happening is we have an investment in, in a company, Paul and I together, uh, our, our, our two companies, and they're getting acquired by a, a much bigger company. It's a, it's a, you know, solid move long-term. And we've got this decision about, you know, uh, we can take some form of cash and shares or we can take all shares. And, and there's, you know, this decision of, you know, like, what's the best bet to make? And I think, you know, the reason we're here 
in large part is because of some of the things that this company is getting acquired figured out in terms of in terms of some pretty rapid growth stuff. Yeah. Well, so where do you want to go with this though? Because like uh, there's a lot of interesting bits to this, and and I'm not sure. Well, let's talk yeah, about. Yeah. Well, I think first, I think first, yeah, first, like since I threw the term out, and I think lots of people hear it, like define for people what you think an aqua hire is. Oh man. Uh okay yeah so the aqua hire okay so oh man you put you put me on the spot here I would say an aqua hire <laughs> is that middle scenario where um you're you're not you know you're not failing you're not running out of money the the company's not worth nothing um and on the other extreme you're not like crushing it and you know you've got a big huge multiple on uh whatever your last raise was. And Aquahire is that middle ground where usually it's not great. Usually it's it's like, you know, the 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 acquiring company wants you to come work with them and they want to acquire some portion of your team. You know, I, I guess to be really blunt, the the most common Aquahire that I see is uh usually sort of a very small return for investors and yep. then employment contracts for the entrepreneurs or or for the team in general. That's what a usual aqua hire is. Um, but what would you say? Th- what would you say? Yeah, I would. I would say. Well, first, I would say that aqua hires, generally speaking, from what I see, are celebrated much in the same way as um, as a true like acquisition slash exit. And I do think they're different, not just because you know the investors generally tend to get less in an aqua hire than they would in sort of like a true acquisition. But I I, I agree with your definition. I I think. Um, you know, I think cl- clearly the difference is in what I would say the product's not right. The word, it's the word I'm going to use product. The, the product in an aqua hire is the brain trust, the people. And the product in the acquisition is the IP that those people have created. And I, so I think in the, in the situation where it's a true aqua hire, it's early, potentially earlier in the process. And somebody sees the, the, the potential for what they're building, but all the code hasn't been written or all the pieces haven't been figured out, but they know those are the right people to do it. And so they're mm-hmm. they're making a bigger bet, which is also probably why the investors are getting less in most cases, if you will. Yeah. 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 That's I mean, that's fair. I see. Here's the thing about this is that like there's no wrong answer. Um, I, I, I guess just for the sake of this particular one that we're going to talk about here, I would say that you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. I think it's just such a broad category or a broad uh, spectrum. But I will say that rarely is Acquire a positive thing. Like for investors, for investors, for founders, it probably is okay. You know, it's like, man, what's, uh, it's less worse than failure. That's for sure. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, but particularly from our perspective, when I think about you and me on this one, uh, we have to ask ourselves like, what just happened? You know, um, now, just to kind of set the stage here for this one, um, the, here's a case where we've invested a couple of years ago now. Um, company's, you know, done okay. Like, you, you know, and and uh, like there's a little bit of a markup there. And now we're at this place where we have to decide, do we want to take all cash out or do we take all stock? And that's that's really what the decision is now. And And what's interesting is, is that it's sort of like, at least for me, I find myself thinking about it this way. 
okay, if I take the cash out now, what does that do to my IRR? I can just shove that into a spreadsheet and kind of see what that does. Um, and on the other extreme, I have to also kind of vet the acquiring company and ask myself, do I want the stock? I mean, that like on the extremes or right. the most simplistic way to think about it is that. Well, I'd clarify one thing there. I think it's, yes, it's whether you want the stock, but I also think it's got to be pretty compelling to not want the stock because the the you've got to really hate the acquiring company because the <laughs> whole point was you you were putting the money in thinking that you were making a five to seven year bet. And if you're getting a reset at 18 months or two years, you clearly haven't seen the entire movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, I think like, well, 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 where do you want to go with this? Because there's a lot of different ways we can take this particular part of the conversation. Well, we talked a bit about the acquire part. I'm, I'm curious what, you know, when you've been in these situations over the years, when you've been faced with the question as an investor, how often have you chosen stock versus, you know, cashing out? I have traditionally always gone with the stock. Um, and hear me out for a second. Uh, there's two reasons I do that, um, generally speaking. The first is that um, more often than not, even if I get the cash out, the IRR is going to be upside down or, or very little anyway. So, yep. you know, like most investors, I've already written off that money the day I wired it. So, uh, you know, um, that's one reason I usually do it. The second is really more reputational. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I want the founders to know I'm always going to back the decision. I mean, th I mean, that doesn't mean I say yes to everything all the time, but in these particular situations, acquihires tend to be really emotional. Like for a founder to find themselves in that situation, um, they've clearly made enough value for somebody to want to do something, even if it's not good for me. But it's, there's also like this ego hit and, and half the world's going to hate them anyway for making this call. And so I guess reputationally, I try to always support them. And then economically, you know, pulling the money back out doesn't really help in this scenario. Like if I could find a way to magically get the winning, the, the money out of companies that were failing, <laughs> it'd be a very different <laughs> scenario, right? But I don't know. I, I know that doesn't sound very optimistic, but you know, I, I want to be long-term greedy here. I want a long-term relationship with the founders. I want a long-term relationship with the, with the acquirers. Um, and I will also say in my own limited experience that in, when this happens, it's not often a smaller company or like more often than not, you probably want to be in the acquiring company anyway. Agreed. At least in the ones that I've been in, when it's an aqua yeah. hire like that, I, I'm I'm willing to take the ride because the money back to me doesn't really move my IRR needle. The you know pulling money back out at that point of the transaction will hurt that relationship with that founder because now I'm that investor backing out, and you know that's a signal that's not good. Um, but also more often than not, the company that's acquiring or doing the aqua hiring is probably somebody you want to be in uh, on the cap table on. I agree. I will say that my experience on this, and it's been somewhat limited. We haven't had a ton of these. I found that, um, that we haven't necessarily been able to develop meaningful relationships with the acquiring company's founder, um, nearly as often as I would have hoped. I agree I, that I will tell you, that's the same problem I have too, is that, yeah, the, the, you're you're still like one 
you know, one play, one, what is it? One relationship removed from that person. Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Not yeah, six. yeah, that's it. Right. But, but here's the thing though, like, you know, uh, see, I want to talk about this one without like giving away the details, but, uh, yeah. the, the summary of this one is that, um, the acquiring company is led by somebody that was on the founding team of another company I invested in almost a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And that company is the number one performing company in my portfolio ever, ever. I mean, it is the largest, it's bonkers. And so for me, knowing that the acquiring company um, is run by that person, could he have changed over the last 10 years? Yes, sure. But his track record at the original portfolio company, from my perspective, was pretty stellar. And um, the, you know, track record at the company that he's running now uh is 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 looking pretty good too so we're going from a company that you and i were in um with a with a nine figure valuation and we're gonna roll this thing up into a a new position on a on a larger cap table where uh you know we're on an 11 figure (laughs) valuation so look you know the money the thing is, though, is that like I know how big of a swing that person's going to take. I mean, I keep, again, that's just kind of how he is. And yeah. uh, when you look at the current stats that they're disclosing, you know, in terms of like new customers per month, that sort of thing. I mean, everything's tracking pretty well. So I, I'm rambling here, but my downside is ca- so here's here's my here's my fundamental one line thesis on not only these kinds of transactions, but also investing in general. I have a 1x downside, right? My downside is always going to be 1x whatever yep. I put in. Uh, my upside is theoretically infinite. Well, realistically, I know it's not infinite, right? But but it's a it's on a risk-adjusted basis. This does not feel like a risky bet to me. I would agree with that. I definitely don't feel like it feels like a risky bet. Um, and I don't think most of the times when we've had these sorts of situations, they felt overly risky. I think I've seen some cases where I felt like there was a the the probably the biggest risk was the stagnation um in terms of in terms of growth and so as you mentioned like that sort of messes with the IRRs. But again, not really in our control, just that they're they're unlikely to grow at maybe the same clip that they were growing once they get folded into, you know, some of these that got folded into a larger company. Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean it's interesting at at this point with these kinds of deals, the biggest thing you just have to worry about is how, how is the governance going to be? Cause usually when you get rolled up like this, you're, you're like, our names are not going to be on their cap table. Uh, right. It's going to be a, a an LLC. And so, you know, uh, generally speaking, that's really the bigger question usually is going to be what, what are the terms of that LLC and, and, and that sort of thing. Like, can people buy in, can they buy out that sort of thing? But, as long as that's locked down pretty tight, it's all good. So um, anyway, this is like sort of the inside baseball stuff that nobody really talks about. And I think it's kind of important for founders uh, to hear this stuff um, because, <laughs> because you you read enough about this stuff online, it just seems like everything just worked out. And the truth is there are a lot of different interests here. Uh, you know, and, and this kind of brings me to my point on this tweet that I put out last night, I think, or the other night where, you know, I, I, I <laughs> fired off this sort of, snarky tweet announcing a $0 fundraise led by, you know, our customers 
And I went to bed and the next morning, you know, the, the, the impression count had just skyrocketed, you know, and, um, like the thing is, the reason I kind of posted that thing and the reason why I want to talk about this stuff with you and, and right here on the podcast is because like, I feel like the older I get, the more cynical I become and, and, you know, the less, um, tolerance I have or less patience I have for sort of just the fluff. Um, and look, I, I did it, you know, it's uh, in the past, like, you know, I helped pump up our portfolio companies. I helped, you know, drum up a lot of noise for my own companies. I, I, I get, I get the game. I understand, but I suppose the older I get, the more I just want to shine a spotlight on some of this stuff, mostly so that the next, you know, entrepreneurs out there know how to navigate it. I'm not really trying to like poke holes and make fun of anybody. I'm actually just trying to like shine a light on sort of the reality so that the next generation of entrepreneurs can, 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 can use that to their advantage. So, uh, not sure where you want to take this uh, though, cause I'm, I'm in a rambly mood today. <laughs> Well, and I think like just at just at the basics of it, I think as you compare these two, uh, you know, discussions here, the you know the acquisition and what that looks like versus you know your zero dollar raise, um, I think there's like the, the very basic obvious comment, which is something that you've said a number of times in conversations that we've been in. Once you go out and take that money, you're just on a different track, and mm -hmm. so you know that doesn't mean that 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 you're never going to take money for bump um, or that you, or that you will. It's just that, you know, with this investment that we have, they, they took money and there's, there's, there's decisions that they have to make. So for example, we had a portfolio company during the pandemic that was in the travel space and lots of potential doing great, plenty of growth, but m m there weren't very many investors investing in travel during the pandemic because so they weren't able to raise enough and had to take an acquisition that I think l undervalued what they had built and mm -hmm. certainly undervalued their potential. Um, you know, whereas, the you know, I think the point that you make, which I think is, you know, tangential to what you said, but but important <laughs> to, 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 to clarify is, you know, you guys still have the option to take cash if you want, or you can continue to grow independently. You have more choices, whereas you know, not saying that this is the case with the specific acquisition we're talking about, but a lot of times once you've taken that money, you you've added on infrastructure and growth and 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 overhead, quite frankly, and and you've got to continue to grow so that you can get your next race. You can keep doing that, and if you don't, you may have to do uh, you know an aqua hire or some sort of less desirable acquisition to keep from being extinct, as you said. You know, the the least the the less worse outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I can't do anything but agree here, by the way. I, I'm not, like, I don't want to uh, beat, beat a dead horse here, but I, I think that, um, I guess I'll just suffice it to say that, you know, uh, time and again, I just kind of come back to this idea that if you're going to step on that venture treadmill, uh, you, you better, you better really take a few minutes to understand the financial, how the financial world works, not because it's scary, but because it will tell you almost everything you need to know about why you're going to get the no's and why you're going to get the yeses and why you're going to get ghosted sometimes. It all comes back to uh, the fact that it is really not as black and white as you would think it should be. Um, and that's my point for founders. If you're going to step on that venture treadmill, uh, take the time to learn about this stuff because, um, you know, it's all, it's actually not that hard once you kind of understand what the you know, what, how the thinking goes, just, just like back to this example, right? It's like, 
I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, if I got X dollars back, like in this particular case, if we did cash, we would get, I think it would be like X plus 20%. On paper, that that's not like, yeah. bad, right? It's like, well, you know, gosh, if I put in X and I got X plus 20 that back, that's wonderful. Yes, you're right. But I've said on previous episodes with you that I we are portfolio constructors, not deal pickers. And so when I think about getting X plus 20% back, that's not going to make my portfolio. In fact, uh, it, it's going to drag my, my rate of return down. Um, yeah. And when the when on the other side of this, when the acquiring company is something that appears to be growing and something that I would at least like to be on the cap table, despite the fact that we will probably be unlikely to get a bigger spot later on, maybe, I don't know. Uh, that's that, like when, you, when founders start to think about it that way, everything I think starts to kind of come in line uh, or, or become more clear. You know, now you're not wondering why somebody ghosted you anymore. Now you're like, oh, I see. I, I probably didn't they're probably keeping an option open. They don't want to say no because they lose the option. They'd rather pretend they were busy and went on vacation or something. <laughs> so, uh, but well, uh, yeah, and, and you talk about a 20% return. I, you know, I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, how long have we been in this one? Oh, I could go, like I'd have to, 18 months. No, 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 no. I think this was uh, a year one thing. So this was probably 2016, I think. Okay. So, so let's it's call either it, 16 well, or 17, yeah. I believe. So we're, okay. we're in it for at least three years, maybe four. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, when you talk about IRR, like, like capping this off right now at a 20% return three or four years later is where the, the, it, where, where it just is a killer for us better than zero, but, but, yeah. but, 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 clear, but clearly the, the, the ability to keep, have, the, the ability to let it ride, if you will, and potentially be, you know, a, you know, 50 or 100x is, is, is what we made the initial investment for in the first place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you said it that way, because that, that kind of like m helps me maybe explain it a slightly different way. If you and I were later stage investors, so, so, okay, so just to be really blunt, you know, to play this venture game, you either need to start really early you know, get into the companies really early. And, and, and in exchange for doing that, you're taking on a lot more risk, but the yeah. check size doesn't have to be as large. On the other side of this, if you don't want to take on that risk and you would rather come in to companies, you know, at the series B, C, or D, like later on, you know, when they're less risky and they're maybe getting ready for an IPO, that sort of thing, you can play that game as long as you have a very large checkbook. So, um, the decision that we're making here for us in terms of rolling into stock on this uh, acquiring company, uh, it should be understood that this is you, this is a decision that we're making because in our world, we start out at the earliest stage. Like that acquiring company for you and me today would not be a target that we could afford or right. or, or be interested in investing in. Like you know their minimum check size. I mean they're eleven figure valuation already. Uh, initial check size to be even interesting to them is probably 10 million bucks. Well, and like you said, we were, we're probably not even on their radar because we're exactly. just a, a line in an LLC that, exactly. um, that, they'll, that they'll never see. Exactly. So there's, there's, exactly. There's that, like, there's that hurdle as well. Yeah. It's like as much as the founder knows me, uh, you know, the, at the acquiring company, it doesn't matter to him because that, like, you know, I'm the guy writing smaller checks, you know, it, from where he is today from where right. he is today, you know? Um, 
So, I mean, his legal fees are probably larger than our average Series A investment. (laughs) But I just want to make that clear to the listeners, though, is that, you know, you have to remember that you're you're listening to, to two folks or two people that are very like we're consciously investing at the earliest stage, like that we would not go after series B, C or D companies as an initial investment because our initial check size would be so much larger than we'd be comfortable with. Like I'm happy writing a big check like that if I got in at the seed round, but it's really hard for me to justify writing a huge check for the first time to somebody else. I agree. Um, So yeah, poorly articulated, I know, but I just want to make that. That's a good point though, is that like this is what you're hearing when you hear us talk about this is, it should be taken in with the lens that we are early stage investors and now we have the chance to roll into something that is much later stage. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and with the, with the expectation that we're probably not going to get a chance to invest anymore we're, we're we get a chance to. Yeah. Yeah. There's no pro rata on this. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I mean, I, we've, we had some other stuff tagged for this week in in terms of some discussions about what we think the new moats are um and and where the, where where companies are going and oddly enough that still ties back to so much of what's going on with iOS 14 and how companies are trying to figure out how to grow and and blanket a market or you know or or figure out a new way to target mm-hmm. uh, but I think we're going to have to hold on that stuff for just a little while longer as we creep into the holidays um, you know, I, I, I haven't even asked you what your travel schedule is over the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we will continue to be able to pump out some, some live content for folks over the holidays so they can, uh, sip a little eggnog and listen, listen to us noodle on some of this crazy stuff. Fun fact. I've never had eggnog. Maybe this is the year I'm going to try it. I, you know, I, uh, spoiler alert. I don't think you're missing much. Yeah, Dana <laughs> says I'm not missing much. So, <laughs> but maybe this will maybe this will be the year. I, maybe you never know. Well, uh, this has been fun, man. Well, I I, I hope uh, my ramble didn't kind of turn off too many listeners. Uh, if you're still here this long, <laughs> if you're listening this far into the ramble, uh, good for you. Send me an email. I want to hear. Uh, I want to. I want to know who you are. <laughs> Yeah, and tell two friends where you heard us yeah, rambling I, like crazy. I always love to say, if you loved it, tell one friend. If you hated it, uh, send this to your five worst enemies. <laughs> and send in your questions. We love answering questions for folks on the show. Um, you know, the, I, I I had a lot of fun with uh, with Pitch Deck One Hundred and One, but I I think we we want to talk with some of our uh, our portfolio companies and and try and fold some of them in for some 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 more like deep in the weeds discussions on that sort of stuff like you know what's out there what's motivating investors what's what's getting us excited to, to write write that next check all right man well happy uh happy rest of the week and uh i will talk to you here soon all right man stay safe out there <laughs> <laughs>